Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are diligently working upon our 45th anniversary festival. Yes, when I say we, that is a plural of majesty. I assume that we're going to have a service and a banquet. Sounds like we'll have some pictures and some songs and festival-like activities. A grand celebration. And like most grand celebrations, Easter, Reformation, Christmas, Ascension, Pentecost, they're marked with some things that we all know and recognize. They're marked with smiles and hymns and anthems. Even right-to-life rallies are based upon a similar theme, even nationwide. He is risen. The resurrection is a prominent theme within the, our readings from Hosea this morning. Hosea chapter 6, verse 2. After two days he will revive us, and on the third day he will raise us up, that we might live before him. But the pious days of party do not always last. You see, the thing with festivals and holy days and holidays, they don't endure. Today, we face the fear and the grief of that fact. And how wonderful it is that we're blessed with facing the fear and the grief that not every day is a holy day. Not every day is a holiday. For we really don't give up our sins, do we? We might age out of a few of them. We get better at hiding them from everybody else. Civil righteousness means a bit more to some of us than it does to others. Some of us will get in big trouble. Other people don't. At the time of Hosea, we have the same problem. God's people have lost sight of God's love and God's promises. They have included other things in their worship of God. They've included pagan gods in their society. These foreign gods are worshipped open in their liturgies. Therefore, God makes this shocking announcement against his people. He says, your love is like a morning cloud. Like an early dew that just disappears. It dissipates into nothingness. It's a scathing love song against God's people. Which, by the way, is why we don't make praise songs out of the Old Testament prophets. It doesn't work very well. Oh, Lord, my love is like a morning dew. Oh, morning dew, morning dew, morning dew. However, we dare not paint Israel with too broad of a brush because our own rebellions are too easy to hide in the, the concept of at least we're not like them. We love to do that with the Old Testament Israel. We go, well, but I'm not Old Testament Israel, so that doesn't affect me. He's not talking to me. Our own sins are, are so very easy to hide under this, well, we're not like them. But I tell you what, I think America does synergism and false worship better than anybody. Love is love. And if God is love, then God loves everybody, right? We've turned God into an aspect of divinity as opposed to divinity itself we take and we pick this one little piece of god that we really really like and then we apply it to everybody is that god how really god 
depicts himself. Easter has come and gone, and the Easter season has come and gone. And Christians with illnesses still have illnesses. The family feud that began before Holy Week is probably still with us. And jobs dry up and friends disappear. Where is God when you truly need him? And people are people, right? They still lie and cheat and steal and they curse at you. They curse your very existence, lust over you, use you for their own purposes. God had promised Israel overwhelming blessings if they continued in his presence and the people responded with the required sacrifices. On the holy days, on Passover and Yom Kippur, they were there. They were there in the temple. They were offering their sacrifices. You told me to come and do this thing. I've done the thing. See you next holiday. The people responded as they were supposed to. The problem is it was paper thin. And everybody knew it. You see, everybody knew that even though God was worshipped in Jerusalem, it was Baal that gave the rain. It was the Asherah poles that, that gave the fertilization to the crops. Peace came because they had strong alliances with Assyria and Babylon and Egypt. That's why there was peace in the land. And so God, God charges his people. He says, nobody in the land is faithful and kind. Nobody knows God. They're still swearing and lying and murdering and stealing and adultery and people are breaking the law and the prophets follow a prophet after prophet giving warnings and dire warnings about their ungodliness, invitations to return, commands to repent, to put your sins away and actually come and offer your gifts. And the gifts get so bad because the people are not doing what they said they're supposed to do when they're out in public that when they come and offer their gifts, God says, I don't want your gifts. I will not accept your sacrifices anymore. Because you're useless. In frustration, God asks, what am I supposed to do with you, Judah? The people lusted for, for excessive living. The people of Israel wanted to be like everybody else. Right? The priests closed their eyes to the, to the compromising actions. The Levites ignored the questionable forms of worship. Altars were built to idols in order to satisfy the political desires of their, uh, of, of their allies. Israel no longer lived as God's treasured possession. What's worse is Hebrew warns Christians about this very same temptation. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Be encouraged one another daily, as long as we call it today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We, we swim in the same peril that the Old Testament Christians did, that the Old Testament did, right? We, we want to live like the Canaanites because we live in a land of Canaanites. We want to be as smart as Greeks, as strong as the Philistines, as successful as the Egyptians. We look more like Israel every single day. Our love's like a, like a, a morning cloud, like the dew that just dissipates in the sun. Kenneth Hempel in his book, If I Only Had One Sermon to Preach, 
He tells of a, a lopsided loss that he endured while he was playing football for Wake Forest. They were playing the football game and they just got clobbered from, from kickoff to the end. After the game, he took a shower and went to, to go get in his car and his dad was sitting there by his car. Oh, his dad who always had something positive to say. And as he approached, his dad threw his arms out and he's like, y'all looked awesome. As he continues to walk to his car, he's thinking, my dad has finally lost his mind. I don't know what game he was watching, but it certainly wasn't Wake Forest. His dad paused and then he continued in the huddle. You looked awesome. In the huddle. Today we sit here in our huddle. We sit here in our holy huddle and we look pretty good, I got to tell you. We do. We sing good. We smell good. We say all the right words. We acknowledge all of the right faith. We have money to pay the bills. We even have a party planning committee. We've confessed our sins. We revel in our righteousness. Problem is, at some point, at some point we have to say, ready, break. You got to go play the game. We have to go out into the world and play the game of life. We have to confront the other team, confront the temptations of the world, the snares of the devil, our own sinful nature. And I know we look great in a huddle. But how's your swing pass? You've been working on your receiving. One comfort I give you today that even though Israel left God time and time again, God never left Israel. God's word to this day, Jesus Christ is still being preached in Israel. In Jerusalem this morning, the word of God went out unto a people saying, repent and turn from your sins that you're, and be baptized that your sins may be forgiven. He rebukes his children because he loves them. His motivation has always been to save. His fatherly heart would rather exercise mercy than judgment, and that mercy comes to us in, with, and under, and through our faith in God. That same faith that God created in the heart of Abraham, God also creates that faith within you. And he has called you his redeemed children of God, baptized you, fed you with his body and blood of his own very son. Paul says plainly, you are the sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ. You have been clothed with Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, and then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. In baptism, God's power of eternal grace has blotted out your sin. God's own spirit is at work within you, burying you into Christ's death so that in his resurrection from the dead that you might be given a new life and everlasting. Hosea's words in chapter 6, verse 2 and 3 are true of our own baptismal death and our own resurrection because they were true of Christ's death upon the cross. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. And after two days, will revive us, literally make us alive. And on the third day, he will restore us that we may live again in his presence. As long as you and I, 
As long as you and I live in this world, this charge that Hosea makes against his people is just as valid against us as it was against Old Testament Israel. Our love, our devotion, our loyalty unto God and to others looks so much like a passing cloud. We acknowledge God rather than burnt off. I cannot give God the perfect life that he desires because I am not perfect. But I can, led by the Holy Spirit, repent. I can, empowered by the Holy Spirit, be humble. I can, by the Holy Spirit, be ashamed as Christ himself has provided the perfect offering that God desires from his people. Kenneth Klaus in our Passover, Christ our Passover, tells a story of a, of a Vietnam veteran from Lexington, Kentucky, that he had met, standing in front of the Vietnam Memorial, tears in his eyes, fingers on one specific name. The veteran said, we were pinned down, and I was hit in the leg and unable to go anywhere. And then this dude just laid on me. He just laid on me. And they filled him full of holes. They were fixing to kill me too. Jesus knows that Satan is aiming to kill you too. And he lays his body on top of ours and takes those wounds, takes those blows, the whip, the scourge, the nail, the bullets, the sins, those things in which Satan would use to destroy you have been taken under the cross of Jesus Christ. And thereby Christ has taken your sin upon himself. And then after he died, he took those sins under the grave, and those sins died there in that grave as well, and he was raised from the dead by the Father, assuring us of a newness of life. As we greet one another in the morning or in the next step or the phase of our life, our baptism into Christ provides us with that eternal grace, that dynamic power of the Holy Spirit of God that renews us and refreshes us every single day and lifts us up over the problems of the moment. And that same Holy Spirit robes us in the righteousness of Christ. We have an inheritance that can never perish, says First Peter. We have an inheritance that can never perish, it can never spoil, it can never fade because it's provided by the King of Heaven Himself. And given as a gift unto you. We have been given, as James says, the wisdom that comes from heaven, which at first is pure. It is peace-loving. It is considerate, submissive, full of grace, impartial, and sincere. And that same set of text, Peter calls it good fruit. You are good fruit. Maybe a little fruity sometimes, but you are Good fruit. 
You are no short-term morning mist. No dew that burns off by 8.15. You are by baptism and by command of God the children of the Lord God Almighty. We serve, share, forgive. We worship God because of eternal grace, because he has called us to be so. In Jesus' name, amen.